0: Welcome to B Plot Podcast, the podcast where we take a look at some of the biggest movies from days gone by. I mostly ignore it. Look at the ones come out on the exact same day. My name is Lincoln Comic out here in London. I'm out here with my man Sam. Sam, how you doing? Doing good, man.
1: Just, just, just living. Just living, man.
0: Moment to moment. <laughs> Tell you what is uh, the movies that we've actually picked. The movies that we actually picked for the podcast this time around. We picked Notting Hill starring uh, Julia Roberts, uh, Hugh Grant, is it Reese, is it Ethan's, Ethan's? Ethan's, Reese uh, uh, I think. Tim McInnery. and uh, Vicky Lafferty of uh, Line of Duty in a wheelchair this time. So that's interesting. And also um the other movie that we picked, uh, The 13th Floor, starring uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Um I, l- <laughs> I love that you've top billed here. He
1: is nowhere near like the star of this movie but no the only he is also the only actor whose name i would have known off the top of my head um ah oh, the name she
0: was in boardwalk empire uh, gretchen moll gretchen moll she was in boardwalk empire as well so and also some other uh people in there but we won't be concerning ourselves uh with that just yet um let's start with notting hill sam um can you give us a really uh, kind of a brief synopsis of notting hill and then your relationship to that joint.
1: Uh, Notting Hill is the wholly unbelievable tale of uh, just an average bookstore owner falling in love with the world's biggest movie star and their problems being very surprisingly domestic.
0: Yes, uh, the bookstore owner being Hugh Grant and the famous star being Julia Roberts. Um, Sam, I was watching this, I watched this with my partner, and uh, at one point, I said to her, "Man, Sam's not gonna like this." <laughs> <laughs> so, man, this is this is this is a, a bingo for <laughs> kicking Sam out of it. It's uh, an entirely white movie. It's um, a bunch of rich people um, mm. having problems uh, oh, yeah. when their when their scenario is wholly unbelievable as mm. to the lifestyle and the richness and the area where they're in. Um, so I take it, uh, I'm just guessing that this was, uh, not your cup of jizz.
1: Look, man, I, I've seen this. Have you seen, have you seen this before, right?
0: Yeah, I think I have seen it.
1: Right, I think, I mean, this is one of those movies that everybody's seen. I think I saw it once when I was a kid. I remembered the famous bits entirely out of context and w- going back to it, I was like, oh, wow, this film really doesn't give a fuck about context. Or it's like you said, right? That There is a more interesting version of this film underneath it, which is Julia Roberts as like a broke woman becoming the most famous actress and then desperately trying to slide into a more average middle class life than the one she has. Because the whole time they make out like she's slumming it with Hugh Grant, who owns property in Notting Hill. And it's just the we can't have that. You could get away with that in nineteen ninety-nine when it was like <laughs> the poorest man in England still owns slaves, do you know what I mean? But this, like today,
0: this is fucking crazy, man. It is crazy though. Um but when you watched it the first time around, did it did it sink in at all? Or was it just like it was just it washed over you, it like hit your forehead and and went yeah. over the top.
1: I think here's. I think I was 11. I think I would have been around 10 or 11 by the time this started doing the rounds on video and TV spots. Uh and I re- the thing I remember watching was being like, oh, I guess this is just a genre of film. I like the bit where every every step seems more and more insane than the last step. I was like, oh, this is just how films work. I think I would have put this on Uh, I I rewatched dogma the other day Hmm. and dogma is very much a film where it's the moment to moment dialogue is the entire story. It just rests on the dialogue, just pushing this increasingly insane story through. So it can feel like a very grounded film where it's like, Oh, and we're talking about God and serendipity and the last sign, all this weird shit. This, I guess it in that time period, I would have accepted as the same level of
0: fiction. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I can kind of I can kind of see that. I can kind of see that. I want to try something a little bit different. Can we do highlights, low lights? Mm. And then maybe just some stray thoughts for yeah. uh Nottingham. Maybe give it give it a like a semblance of hobby. Cause I actually find this a very difficult movie to find my in because I have so many thoughts. Mm. Most of them negative, some of them actually interesting. Yeah. Um, to me at least. It was, like, it was like a wild shit to say. I have some interesting thoughts, and I think that nope. Um, okay, so highlights for me uh, in Notting Hill, what did I like about it? I liked um I like this movie. I, I like Reese Eifens, Ethan's, right? Reese Eifens. Yeah. Um, there was one joke which I thought was hilarious, um, mm. which is when uh Julia Roberts phones him or the le- phones to leave a message on Hugh Grant's answering machine and Reese gets the message. And um, they're both on the roof and there's a beautiful house that has a rooftop (laughs) Mm -hmm. and he's like, oh, someone phoned for you. And Hugh Grant's like, who? And he's like, dude, I mean, are we really going to do this? Are we going to do this draconian thing where I have to remember all of your messages? (laughs) And I was like, that's fucking funny. That's good stuff. Um, I liked him. I like, what's interesting for me, it's almost a weirdly woke moment is I think he in a movie that has like a, if this is an American movie, Reese Evans or Evans is a black character. Mm-hmm. um but because this movie is almost um you know to the effect that it must have been a choice yeah <laughs> it's um devoid of any sort of race mm. he's a he's a welsh character it's just like funny <laughs> to me that the in america the equi- like it's a black sassy friend the only equivalent in england Is is Welsh? It's just like a. It's a very funny thought. We we sub in a
1: nationality that anyone outside of the UK can't tell the difference between them and English. And we exactly. That's the (laughs) exactly. Um, Um, I have to highlight Julia Roberts, man. Like she just. Mm. This this is the thing. No matter how bad the script or the film that Julia Roberts is in, she just shows up, like. It's, prof- she's it's so a professional and like clinical. Mm. She's a um, star. Yeah. And the only moments I found myself ever feeling anything other than like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Was when she, when w- w- those little moments in between lines where she looks like she's just about to cry or she's
0: like seething just beneath the surface.
1: Everything with her is just beneath the surface. And I'm like, yeah, that's hard to pull off.
0: Um, Julia Roberts has that. She's a movie star, man. And like, it's one of those things that just cannot be taught. You can be a good actor, but you can't. Eddie Redmayne is a mm. good actor. He's not a movie star. Mm. He doesn't have it. There's only a few people that have it. It's it's people like Tom Cruise, people like um, Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts, um, Brad Pitt. Uh, there's these people who have that like special the movie magic dust sprinkled on them and not um some people are both you know someone like uh what's her name Uh, oh my god Uh, Meryl Streep is a great actress but she's also a movie star yeah also like she connects with like you know and um those people are rare and Julia Roberts is one of those people and I think this movie is in the middle of one of the greatest like five-year runs uh in movie history I think Um, yeah yeah, if you think about how bankable she is um for this period of time yeah, you got Runaway Bride, My Best Friend's Wedding, like, and then Notting Hill. A couple of years Ocean- after Erin Brockovich. Ocean's Twelve. Um, I think Erin Brockovich is the next year. I think it was in two thousand. Oh, was it? I yeah, two thousand yeah. or two thousand and one, and then Ocean's Twelve is like two thousand and two. Like she's just she's on an absolute tear. But um, lowlights, lowlights for you, Sam. Hugh Grant, and the, here's here's the thing I'll say
1: is I'm not. Either way on Hugh Grant, I thought he was fucking amazing in Paddington Two. I thought he was okay (laughs) in About a Boy, right? I'm like, I can go either way with him, but the character that he's been given is so irritating now. Like, this is a film for this is a film of you know set in Notting Hill for an American audience. I think Mm. for an English audience, the Hugh Grant comes in. Oh. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I've, I seem to have spilled chili all down you. I've, I've got to get a cab. And you're like, I shut the fuck up, man. Just be a person, just for like two
0: minutes. Man, he is he is the most cucked character. <laughs> I he is. You know what's mad is he sleeps with Julia Roberts. You mm. see her naked. She has deemed him acceptable on a sexual level. <clears throat> and the next morning he's still like um, would you like uh, please would you like uh, no? <laughs> I was like come on man Grow a backbone. Can you imagine, like, uh, like if there's any ladies listening, which I've looked at our demographics. There are a few. (laughs) Um, There are a few, not many. But can you imagine, like, hooking up with a dude and you're like, all right, let's do this. And then the next morning he's like, "Um, excuse me, um, can Mm -hmm. I please touch your uh, shoulder? Uh, Oh, sorry, I'll have to. "Oh, I was like, oh, no, get the fuck out (laughs) of here. You're going to dead that guy on sight. That's the most annoying soy boy cuck shit I've ever seen in my life. It's infuriating. And it's like...
1: This is the thing, this is like such a a pillar of the... the, Every nationality has it, but we have it in excess, I think, is humour without substance, the style over substance. Ours, like the apologetic, middle-class British guy character. And this film is one where it feels like the things that he's supposed to say to put his foot in it and then have to backtrack for the, oh, I'm so sorry moments, are like so forced it's like at one point he's he's doing like a warm-up five minutes about his honey and apricots in the fridge and he's like oh you don't buy honey and apricots and oh it, it, yeah. it. and it's like you bought it you don't you can't do the bit about it about it being a stupid purchase if you bought it yeah. well there's a literal film star standing you know what like i do awards shows all the times so i've heard everybody's hot five <laughs> thanks you <laughs>
0: Yeah, I look, man. He is—he's very annoying. He's also, you know, what—that's actually a weirdly woke moment for me in this movie as well. Is that like, and I, please again, I'm, speci- I'm specifically speaking to the ladies right here. You know, but I'm gonna put some put mm. some nice, um, quiet storm music underneath this. Um, B plot after dark, baby, right on. Um, no, but like the idea that what what is what is a more attractive idea is if if you know if you see this as a woman, if you see this and it's like, do you want to be the Julia Roberts I'm talking about the fantasy here. What what is a more attractive fantasy? Being the rich film star and discovering this diamond in the rough Mm. and basically saying he, you know, making this beautiful life together or being the Cinderella being the the kind of Mm. regular girl and then this amazing film star discovers you and he yeah. whisks you away. And I was like, I'm very curious. Cause I'm I'm genuinely curious. I I think it's because that's one of the the core things about this movie is that it kind of subverts that uh trope in that Hugh Grant is the, you know, he's the Cinderella, as it were. Yeah, well that's that's
1: why this one has had the most cultural staying power out of those nineties and early two thousands rom coms, is because of the the sort of the gender role flip. But I think this is the thing. I think this is why it's probably such a classic for so many people is because it did that where she has the power. she's in control. she's the one actively in pursuit. She's also for the most part the one that makes all the active choices. Um, but then we just have such a like a, a sort of a, a weird kind of rom-com renaissance of like with things like bridesmaids in the kind of around the turn of that late noughties early 2010s where you go I always think I always think oh, I quite like a rom-com actually I'm a bit past mm. rom-com and then I'm like no but what I hate is when it's it is a perfect fairy tale and I go this is I need the guy has to have a belly the there has to be there has to be some imperfection that you like overcome And there's no imperfection that either
0: of these two characters overcome for me you see and the, the, the imperfection that they overcome is one of its is one of its own making It's because everything goes everything everything happens. you Grant gets to the end and Julia Roberts says, I'm also just a, a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. And you Grant says no yeah and I think that's very interesting. And the reason I think it's important is because you Grant throughout this entire thing has no agency yeah yeah, yeah. He has no agency whatsoever. He's just kind of accepts it he's like a punching bag. By the end of it, I'm screaming at the screen. you stand up for yourself because mm. she keeps sh- she shits on him uh, repeatedly, habitually. she's mm. habitually she shits on him. And so you need you uh, Grant to stand up for himself. but the way that he stand up it's like very nothing has really changed. He acknowledges that she said this. And then later on, he's just by his friends and is like, yeah, but it is Julia Roberts though. I should probably, Mm, I should probably do. And they're like, yeah, you probably. And like, and then it happens. And I think if he just says yes in that bookstore, lame. Yeah. Cause she's gone a hundred percent of, in fact, she's, she's done more than enough for him to like say he doesn't want anything to do with her.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's, that's the thing. That's, that's obviously why that scene's in there. It, why it has to play out that way is to give him some agency is to make sure it's really short. And, and that's really the thing it's love all rom-coms end up having to have the love conquers all thread through them and but again where this one falls short for me is that it's like all of their imperfections are due to circumstance and the the really annoying thing is that every disagreement because they're so they're how, how is it? they're kind of like stereotype characters as they're, at their inception. It's like, oh, quirky, awkward bookstore owner, like really strong, powerful, independent film star going here, but they're not developed together at all. So when they have these like rifts, it's like your f- mate called the paparazzi and he's like, no, he didn't. And all of these conversations, they have to quite delicately dance around the issue to not resolve it immediately. I don't know if you found this, but when... The paparazzi show up after they've slept together. Hugh Grant opens the door and they're all snapping him. And then she goes, oh, what's going on? What's out there? Like, And he's like, oh, no, oh, I wouldn't do that. Oh, that's it. And it's like, look, there's only so much past the character where I can go. He just didn't tell her. There's a bunch of people taking fucking photos outside. I have to make a lot of jumps, like a lot of just to make that an okay thing not to say. And that just happens too repeatedly for me. Oh man. Also
0: the way he tried to get out of that was like, I was like, whoa, this is a, this is a man. This is going for the top shelf where she's like, look, this is my life. It's fucking crazy. People have seen my tits. It's awful. It's gonna, this is never going to go anywhere. And then you grant says, look, man, my best friend, like is in a wheelchair. And mm-hmm. things on good have some perspective. And I'm like, fuck you, have some perspective. Yeah, yeah. You can't pull out your mate who's in a wheelchair when someone's <laughs> like, I'm really this, I'm really panicking. My life is really bad right now. And they're going, Oh, by the way, you know that there's people in Africa who have to like yeah. <laughs> or, I was like, nah, dude, you can't do that. This is not how you talk to people at all. Um, can I also say though, can I tell you what, what this movie most interested me in? is not necessarily the movie itself but like the meta kind of conversation that you can have around this movie is jump in are yeah, wherever but like the idea that this is a this is a very new labor late 90s um britain book mm-hmm. tony blair-esque britain book uh sorry movie for me yeah um I've recently read a really interesting book. It's called "1997" by Richard Sayed. I think is the name of the author, and it's basically all about like how New Labour won in '97 and like the years leading up to it and the years, the fallout uh, uh, afterwards. Mm. And this is a really interesting time in Britain for me because like this is the only time since about the '60s, really, that Britain has something akin to like an exportable pop culture. Yeah. So like the, the late 60s, it's like the British invasion. It's James Bond. It's all of that kind of stuff. And in the late 90s, it starts again. You know, you have Britpop, you have the Spice Girls. Um, the Premier League has been going after years of football being like mired in hooliganism and, and banned out of Europe. Mm. Um, it comes home in 96, year 96. And it's like on the world stage again. That gets exported. And so what you have here with Notting Hill is like you have a version of Britain that Britain would want to present to the world, that the world would want to buy. Yeah. And the way that it is, is this kind of like very bland, like a very um, shallow multiculturalism. <laughs> like, a, it's like, okay, this is, oh, this is a very diverse neighborhood, but like, no, it's just important that you know they're there. They're not really yeah. the main focus of it. Um, it's Hugh Grant, the, the most English man that's ever lived. <laughs> um, it was a travel bookshop, for God's
1: sake. Yeah, and that's the that's the worst part. It's a fucking travel bookshop in Notting Hill, and the house he's paying for makes the whole friends conundrum look
0: reasonable. Do you know what I mean? Like, And you know what's weird is that apparently um, that travel bookshop is a real shop, but it was too small to film yeah. in. And um, as a result, they had to build a bigger set, which I find really weird. And then Richard Curtis, who, um, who directed it, I think says the most Lex Luthor thing um, I've ever heard. I, I read in an article recently. I don't know where it is. I'll link to it in the show notes. But Richard Curtis says, um, yeah, the whole gentrification thing was already happening in Notting Hill when we started filming it. And then presumably while he strokes a white cat, um, <laughs> says, I should have bought a house there. It's doubled in value. <laughs> like, like, dude. Oh, dude. the fucking worst. <laughs> What are you doing? (laughs) What an ugly man. What a terrible thing to say. Um, But yeah, like, it's different for me, obviously, because I come to it from the outside. What do you remember about popular culture from that time? And do you remember, like, the... the, Because you know what's weird to me? It's this, like, weird undercurrent of optimism in UK cinema, which doesn't exist now or since.
1: Well... That, well, yeah, I mean, but that brief moment when we were the big rom-com exporters, when it was like, th- there was this gap in the market for like, oh, heartfelt, quaint stories that the world hadn't been uh, completely sick of yet. That's the only time that's that's really happened, because I've never equated any form of optimism with anything British that would be insane to think to go into a situation and be like this is going to work out well but that's that's the marriage right that's the that's that only happens when it's like american and english like joint production because it's the relentless optimism of like american storytelling with quaint british people apologizing for how quaint they are and and really this is the thing it's all it's all them just saying like sorry for colonialism. That's what it is. It's just like sliding in all that guilt in different ways, being like, "Oh, I splooged myself. I'm sorry about all of that." Look, it's one. This is one of those films that I can't. I I don't think I'll ever watch again unless I have to do it for another podcast. But I can't really begrudge people for liking because they it, it like it speaks to a time that obviously it must have had some effect on them that. I can't connect with. It's just so I and but I, I think just Richard Curtis is just so fucking hammy and not in like a fun way. Not in a I'm never, like you said, man, this film maybe made me laugh twice. And one, yeah, one was that voicemail bit, and the other was something where I was like, oh Jesus Christ, I can't believe that's in the fucking <laughs> script.
0: I was also saying it once, like, you know, it only rains one. It I was like, why isn't it raining? Until he goes through all of the seasons and he's at his lowest point of his arc. And then it's like, oh, and then it starts to rain. I was like, that's more like it. <laughs> I was like, that's better. Because if it was shiny, sunny the whole time, we'd be like, who's this for? What sort of parallel universe is this? And that's, that's
1: another thing as well. All, his, all of his solo character development goes through a montage. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm like, does this
0: even work as a movie? Does this even like really work as a story? Or is it just... I- I'll tell you what, I think it does. I think it works on a superficial the levers and the gears are moving. I think it does work. Because and the reason the only reason I say this is not because I didn't particularly fuck with this movie, although, you know, there was there was points where I, I, I heavily disliked it. But I looked up and it was like, oh, there's only 30 minutes left. And mm. I was like, oh, okay. I yeah. guess I guess the the gears have moved correctly. I've not mm. like not as in uh, the movie that we um, watched on the same day, came out on the same day, the 13th floor where I had to take about a 20 minute break, where I just had to go on YouTube and look at other things for a little bit.
1: Yeah. Um. Let's tr- let's transition into it because I, th- the, my conjoining point that carries through both of these films is what I think they both share the same fatal sin, which is all plot, no character.
0: All right, let's move into the 13th floor. The 13th floor is a 1999 science fiction neo-noir film directed by Joseph Rosnack starring Craig Bierko, I think is his name, Gretchen Moll, Vincent D'Onofrio and a bunch of other uh, people who are not important. And uh, it's quite kind of bluntly, it's a virtual reality film. So uh, a scientist has created a virtual reality world. Uh, He writes a letter, um, he's murdered in the real world, in quotation marks, and um, the uh, kind of, I guess the scientist or the computer hacker who was helping him, played by Craig Bioko, has to solve this murder. Um, And so we're moving between these two worlds, which is 1930s Los Angeles, and then what would be 1999 present day Los Angeles, and these two people are trying to solve this murder. And hilarity, not hilarity, um, and fucking nothing in shoes. Nothing in shoes. Uh, a huge, uh, a, basically an existential nothing in um, shoes. You were saying though. What, can we before we go into where you the the fatal flaws are, uh, Sam? Can you give us highlights and lowlights
1: for uh, no. uh,
0: the thirteenth floor? Oh, well, as is going to be the case, anytime he's in a movie, Vincent D'Onofrio.
1: Highlight, right? This guy. Look, he was the only thing he was the only actor in this movie I believed. He was also the only actor in this movie where I was like. I think I've seen the rest of you on Star Trek at some point. There's He kind of has he has uh He plays two or three completely different versions of the of his character And I'm like, that's He's also the only guy I believe in doing that. So I would say, yeah, anytime he was on screen, I was focused, but it was, it was such a slog to get through the rest, man.
0: I mean, I don't know. I didn't think he pulled it off, man. And not through his own untalent, not because he's not talented enough. I just don't think, I just, I just think the movie just dragged him down. <laughs> like, I think, Yeah. Um, Because I think when he was in the thirties, in the simulation, I think he was like compelling and good. But when he was like he had the blonde hair and he was supposed to be a geek, I was like, oh man, this is not this doesn't do it. Yeah. He's too, he's too masculinely like yeah.
1: threatening to be a geek. But yeah. what I will say, and this is a very interesting time for our boy D'Onofrio, right? Because a couple of years earlier, he plays the cockroach man in Men in Black, right? Then I think the year before, he plays the bad guy in the cell, the other film I told you about. Then he's in this. In the same year, he's in another science fiction virtual reality movie called Strange Dates with uh, Rafe Vines, which I coincidentally watched a few weeks ago. Not for this. It just came out. All of which are like VR simulation movies in some respect. Men in Black, obviously, we have that little twist at the end that marble is the galaxy. I'm like, the 90s was a a time where the one film, the one science fiction simulation film that he wasn't in was the fucking matrix. And that was the only one that like pushed through and like broke. I'm like, he hit five or six other movies
0: of the same genre in the run-up. To quote him scared to eat pussy so we eat around the tush. That's what it was. <laughs> there was a, No man, but like there, there was a big, there was a lot of these kinds of movies. Yeah, like bending reality. And, and really what it was now looking back is us getting to grips with the, you know, like the internet and the splintering of the world and people living different versions of themselves. Weirdly, it actually lines up very well with uh, Notting Hill mm. as this fabrication of um, a version of the world that we would like um, to live in. And um, contrast to like what it, you know, what it actually is. Because Hugh Grant can live in Notting Hill in this life. Yeah. And um I think it wouldn't be remiss to say that anyone who lived in Notting Hill in the late 90 late 90s had a very different experience mm. um of what it was like. Yeah. But yeah, so we are Vincent D'Onofrio um Christian Moll, Craig Bierko who's the lead actor. He plays the kind of main scientist or the main sorry, the main computer hacker. Um he is being accused of the murder of who I just someone who I just wrote down um some Werner Herzog s. Yeah, that's that's what I called him. Um, I had
1: the, the I had the voice of the voicemail the first time. I was like, "No way is Herzog no. in." Oh, it's a,
0: it's the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the guy that you get if you can't afford uh, Werner Herzog. And uh, yes, uh, the Craig Bielko. Um, and I have to say, a shockingly bad performance. Um, from this guy, because um, he's got the wide eyes. Yeah. he's got the the Nick Cage. Mm. (laughs) but he um he has the opposite of julia roberts he has no charisma he has has nothing um there's something there's something about him that's like
1: somehow you are overacting and not giving me anything at the same time where there's a uh the point where the homicide detective informs him that his boss is dead he like Sulks like a baby. He's sort of like, oh, okay. Well, I've got to go. And he's like, mind if I tag along with you? And the guy's like, yeah, sure, I guess so. And it's like, I don't think anybody responds this way with grief under police interrogation. It's just yeah. such a mismatched choice. But he's tr- selling it so hard.
0: Just to um, just to continue further on from that. So, uh, not Werner Herzog gets murdered. Um, he leaves a letter um, in the kind of the matrix, as it were, uh, which is the 1930s New York. We pull back and we're in this, in a noir LA um, type place. He meets um, someone who claims to be the daughter of not Werner Herzog and they strike up a romantic relationship. And Craig, this is Craig, uh, let me say, what's his name? Uh, Craig Bierko and uh, Gretchen Moll. They strike up a relationship. We then learn, and the twist in the movie is that... Uh, the world that they are in uh, uh 1999 la is also dun 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 a, a simulation and he is um he is uh, a you know a f- software yeah and um gretchen moll has fallen in love with him uh as as like the movie her um he's fallen in love with him and wants to find a way to get him out this is as much as i can kind of pull out of this movie just straight because there's also a large subplot with Vincent D'Onofrio being able to move between these worlds, these multiverses, also pe- killing people within it. I can't really speak to that because I don't really understand exactly
1: what happened. I found this film almost impossible to watch. I kept looking at my phone and I'm not a phone looker. And I kept going to my phone and I was like, well, what's going on on Reddit? Because it was so hard to watch. But the one thing I was like holding on to was I was like, okay, so they have to be in a bigger... It's so obvious they're in a bigger simulation, which I don't necessarily think is the fault of most films that do this. I think get. I think you can figure it out early and it gets away with it. This, I think the problem is all the eggs are in them going, this, the real world this is another simulation and there are thousands of simulations. So once you get to that reveal, you go, wait a minute the the twist in the simulation movie was that there was another simulation that's fucking
0: blown my mind <laughs> you know what I that, mean? Was a, that was a big deal in 1999 you know, not just movie not just movies that are, were like sci-fi based but like other movies like mm. it was a game all along well this is the problem is it it kind of wasn't because it had
1: been done so many times already that it was like and and not just in 1999 with the matrix with movies leading up to it that you go ah oh, yeah it's kind of the only thing that could have been done. It's the Sixth Sense was before even, you know. Yeah,
0: the game you've seen the game. The, the game. game. She's
1: even from the game. The, the game. Lady. Uh,
0: maybe I should leave that up. Maybe people want to see the game still. That's a that's a that's a good movie though. Didn't like it. I liked it. I remember liking it. Maybe that's because I like um, that pussyhound uh, Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you must you know how much pussy you have to eat to get throat cancer? That is incredible. (laughs) What a fiend. Um Sam, are you gonna do you have anything else you want to bring up about this before we move on to categories?
1: Yeah, just the the fact Mm. that the if you're gonna do sorry, it's still on the same point. If you're gonna do a simulation movie where the twist is that this the real world is, is another simulation, don't call your head homicide detective McBain. Do you know what I mean?
0: Why not? What's McBain?
1: McBain is from The Simpsons. I don't know that. I don't know The Simpsons. McBain, the 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 Renier Wolfcastle
0: movies. That? Do you not watch The Simpsons when you were? I watched. Yeah, I watched like up until like season eleven. Okay,
1: so this is all. Yeah, I haven't watched past season 11.
0: you the Arnold Schwarzenegger character in The Simpsons. You know what? I'm, I, feel I, like think, leaving, I feel like leaving this in just because it's so awkward. I
1: also, <laughs> I also feel like this is one of those moments where I've said, did you watch The Simpsons? And you're like, yeah, but you haven't.
0: You've just seen it on in the background. Like, no, yeah, I've, I've, seen I, I've seen The Simpsons. I've seen The Simpsons, guys. I've seen a lot in The Simpsons. <laughs> guys. I, I believe I you. Right. <laughs> so guys, we always like to have categories on this program. That's how we compare these two movies. Um, and the first category that we usually have is the instant cancellation. Um, for me, I'm gonna start with Notting Hill. Uh the first one is uh the ableist lifestyle the um, uh, th- disenfranchisement, the alienation of the one person who was in a wheelchair. Um, the house is not accessible at all. Car is not accessible at all. In fact, she's being used as an excuse. It, yeah. <laughs> um, it's she's insulting. A uh, friend is using her as an excuse um, to continue to uh, fuck Julia Roberts. So it's <laughs> not... <laughs> It's uh, that's not good that's an instant cancellation uh, the other instant cancellation that I had is maybe a little a smaller little moment in the 13th floor which is um, Gretchen Moll's character um, when she's in the 1999 simulation um, where she is the checkout person at a, at a supermarket she says uh, paper or plastic and that summer mum bitch he chooses plastic <laughs> 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 instant cancellation in 2021 <laughs> Mm, uh,
1: I got okay for Notting Hill for me it has to be it's back to the sequence with the paparazzi it has to be the sequence where Hugh Grant that Julia Roberts accuses Reese Fance of telling the press she's like you, I'll tell you what your little friend did he went out and he fucking told the press and he's like no he wouldn't do that he's not like that that's my instant cancel Hugh Grant defending the man who the night before said I think you should go up and try and fuck that girl and then chief Grant says oh no i couldn't possibly and he goes do you mind if i ever go and i'm like
0: <laughs> don't
1: you defending that guy's my cancel and then in um uh the i can't remember, the 13th floor right at the beginning what we find out is that the guy in the 1999 simulation who's developed the 1937 simulation who's been murdered what he's done is he's built the 1937 simulation just to go back in time and molest kids yeah, and that's
0: a weird one isn't it
1: yeah and it's like the driving force of the movie is still supposed to be solving his
0: murder and i'm like well justify that for me also like man certain dates in the world are dates in the world mm, 1937 <laughs> yeah is a date in the world yeah who who among us is like, yo, let me go back to 1937. Let me get in on this Nazi shit on the ground mm. floor. Like, yeah. i
1: like... I'll tell no, you, no, no. child molesters.
0: <laughs> for some reason, priority one for
1: murder yeah. detectives.
0: I'm sorry, man. I'm going back to many times in history. 1930s. Basically, any like I'll do the 20s. I'll do up until like the great depression (laughs) i'm like i'm a dip but if you want to get in in 1935 36 37 yikes Mm -mm. let's go Mm -mm. back to the good old days (laughs) um not for me not for me um the next one that we usually have is the weirdly woke moment now between this movie for me the weirdly woke moment is actually how much of a fuck boy um julia roberts is uh julia roberts is playing Uh, one of my favorite characters in all of uh, B-Plot. You know what it is, Sam. She's a toxic king. (laughs) She's a toxic king in this one. She basically blows uh, Hugh Grant off every time. Hugh Grant's like, can I get your number? Julia's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'll call you. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And he's like, oh, uh, maybe I can come. And then like, oh can i i'll just yeah my boyfriend's next door it's fine like we'll we'll just go this way we'll just go this way and then there she doesn't defend him she makes him pick up alec baldwin's um makes him get get a little tip maybe tap him on the top of the head julia roberts such a fuck boy yeah Um, she even wears a suit i think the first time that he goes to interview her at um when he's from quote unquote horse horse and hound he um she wears a men's suit the first time she meets him, so like even to drive it home. So yeah, she's a real toxic king, a real fuck boy, and uh, we love to see it.
1: Mm. I think, if I'm honest, I think that's the only weirdly woke moment across these two films. The thirteenth floor. The only thing I have. The only thing I have is that technically, like the black cop lives and all, and the white guy dies. That's it. Maybe. Maybe. Do you know what I mean? Maybe. Yeah, we're reaching, yeah. It's I don't know. But it was the 90s yeah. as well. There was a lot of that as well. This wasn't particularly work. Anyway, next cat. Mm. I got more for the others. Go on then. We uh I wanna do the what do we do the next genre blender. Genre blender. Right? I wanna I wanna genre blend Notting Hill into a movie about trying to make this work. So flip it. It's slightly Truman show. Right, where Hugh Grant doesn't realize that he's in a movie, but they're trying to do—they're trying to nomad land the rom com, right? So Julia Roberts is an actress trying to trick Hugh Grant into being like this is the greatest love story ever told, and you're living it, but he's such a pathetic wretch that it's just so hard to get him to do anything.
0: Okay, and and in this movie, are we we are we like? Okay, so so there's two those ways it can go, right? It's like this the movie about the making of the movie, or are we experiencing it as a documentary, but we don't know that it's fictionalized? We we're, we're experiencing
1: it as a fi- like we're experiencing it as a social experiment. We're experiencing it yeah. like it's it's halfway between prank movie and we're the audience of the Truman show. Yeah. Right? So it takes like three years to make the film.
0: And it's like it's it's got like um talking heads, uh that kind of thing.
1: Well, I I don't know. I feel like that would be like a post-credits like special features thing. I feel like they we try and cut it to be exactly as a movie just to see what this guy fucking does. It's you know what it's more like it's more like a Darren Brown experiment where she and she has to like do other movies in the real world in popular culture to kind of like keep up the ruse. So None of us even know it's coming out. It's as well like a mashup. I never saw it, but that Joaquin Phoenix thing where he disappeared and did all the fake interviews and character acting stuff. Like, I'm Still Here or something like that, I think it was called. Uh, I've never seen it. It was just all these public stunts to make it look like he'd gone off the rails for this movie, but I'm like, we do that. So even the audience doesn't know. And then, you know, one day it's like, Tuesday, Julia Roberts dating some fucking guy, you know, (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was really happy when and, uh, I found out it was a film in the end and my life is alive
0: no actually it's really nice to be in a, in a, in a film you know. um, I like that man I think I actually think if you, if you shape that up I think you can come up with a hell of a screenplay there um, if you shape that up real nice I was going to go in the opposite direction I want this to be more of a psychological thriller akin to in the style of the time, the late 90s, I like. I, there's a movie with John Cusack called Identity. Yeah, I remember um, that. This kind of vibe. So Hugh Grant meets Julia Roberts, falls in love, then she disappears. Mm. He goes progressively more insane, um, starts bu- buying, I don't know, like yards of string. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he starts making the connections <laughs> um it turns out he never dated Julia Roberts mm. he imagined the whole thing he um he opened the door one day and there was loads of paparazzi There were never paparazzi yeah um Reese if iPhones Reese fans says to him what are you t- talking about you never met anyone, but very crucially, he never says her name. They keep it a secret, blah blah blah. So you know, turns out he was um, never—he was never the same. He, um, after his divorce, he had went into a deep dark depression, and he never kicked out. And um, the movie ends with him uh, slowly leaving Las Vegas <laughs> as, the, as the sun comes up, uh, as the sun goes down in uh, in Notting Hill. Um, him drinking himself to death. Um on Richard Curtis presents Notting Hill. <laughs> not, not <the> <laughs> just him. And you know, just like you the last shot of the movie is just um it's just him his hand falls down. <laughs> um a book falls from his hand, and it turns out that Julia Roberts was uh the author of one of his f- Travel (laughs) books that he could never. (laughs) (laughs) A guide (laughs) to San Francisco (laughs) (laughs) that he could never see. And, um, death is a sweet release. You. <laughs> but because it's Hugh gone, he's still kind of like, to the end, he keeps the same like, uh, zub, I'm awfully sorry, because I'm dying. No. Like, just, he's so posh that you can't, you can't even, even in his death blade, he's just, you know. <laughs> Terribly just bottles, sorry for the decay. Uh, and then just like, and he cuts his wrists and just drops of, um, of a very nice mellow. Just seems like, Seeps out of his uh, seeps <laughs> seeps out of his veins. So that's what I would do if we have uh, if we have uh, a different kind of vibe. So, um, sequel generator. If you had to make a sequel for mm. for Notting Hill, what would you make? For Notting Hill, right? I'm 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 gonna
1: tap back onto what I pitched earlier, way back at the beginning of the episode, where we get now we do it like The Godfather Two, where half of the story is Julia Roberts before she meets Hugh Grant Mm. and the other half of the story is the aftermath and like living in their kind of middle class English Notting Hill life right where we see Julia Roberts coming up as a struggling actress and she's like she talks about growing up poor in the movie I'm like she's gonna be like she's gonna be Nomadland too. she's gonna be like living out the back of a fucking RV just desperate for adverts in Hollywood it's gonna fucking suck and she's always wanted to Live like a nice, normal middle class life, and then when she gets with Hugh Grant, the flip afterwards is that it kind of becomes a, um, like a really tense, psycho in this similar way psychological drama where their relationship is slowly degrading, and we have it somewhere between like Marriage Story and uh, The Father, where it's just okay, where it's just Hugh Grant is slowly losing it. In like a more, he's apologizing so much that now he's like doing stuff just to apologize for you. I'm so so sorry I ran over all those children on the way to school. I couldn't, I couldn't possibly Tupperware. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. This is, you know what I mean. So like, where, where we end. We end with Julia Roberts probably having to kill Hugh Grant to get away from him, but she's hitchhiking and get you know, and we we fist some fucking like cosmetic themes in there, like she gets she
0: hitchhikes in the same RV that she was struggling in at the beginning. Yeah, something like that. I I would actually really like a Notting Hill. Okay, let's say Julia Roberts. Okay, let's make it let's make it more real. Julia Roberts uh, has a baby. Hollywood on some sexism. like okay she's no longer fuckable that's it all right she can't get any more roles she settles into a nice life Hugh Grant gets absolutely hammered by the 2009 financial crisis um he he's a homeowner but basically the home is everything now so now she wanted this middle class life but now they're just both um just middle class and even a little bit poor and Um, Then I want them both to descend into um, the hells of uh, drug addiction. Um, I want Hugh Grant to overdose. Again... Like as the needle goes into his arm, <laughs> oh, awfully. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I've used so much of it. <laughs> so, ooh, just heroin is very lovely, and I mean, why would they even call it heroin if it's? I'm a man. It should be a hero, like that kind of. Mm. Damn. Yeah, shit. yeah, yeah, yeah. The five um, minutes at the laugh factory. <laughs> 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 it's just, he he does that. Um, and just, like, really nice spoons as well. Like, just really nice spoons. Designer belts. And uh, Julia Roberts having to kick out. Julia Roberts having to kick out. And um, after losing Hugh Grant, finding the love of life, losing it, and then finding a way. Um, so it, it moves into a lot of different mm. vibes. Um, it's part The Big Short, part <laughs> um, part Requiem for a Dream, <laughs> part, <laughs> part Nomadland at yeah. the end as well, she just... Um And then, have you ever seen the movie... Um Oh, no, no never mind. I was just going to say, like, the last act of hers, like, as she releases herself from Hugh Grant, and she just, like, lets a uh, a jar of apricot jam float <laughs> down the river. And, like, that's her goodbye um, to Hugh Grant. Um, mm. Yeah, man. I wonder what... You know what is interesting, right? I know we spoke about, like, 1997 and, and this kind of, like, Blair, Blair-ish vision. Of London, you know, kind of broadly multicultural, but not like actually dealing with the actual spikiness of different cultures. Of actually
1: different cultures, not like, oh, (laughs) oh, they're a bit different in uh, 50 miles down the
0: road. Yeah, but like, yeah, one of actual different cultures, but also of like the kind of like, the you know it's a that's one of part of the great parts about a city is like the difficulties and like the beautifulness of different cultures like moving and squeezing together and like trying to find a space for themselves and for each other mm. and um it's not that's a very hard thing to sell by the way which is one of the things that like you know i recommend this book if you if you're ever interested in is it. like they they basically like give out that like oh london is this multicultural place And then people say, but like, what about racism? And they'd be like, nah, nah, nah. There can't be racism if two people live next to each other. (laughs) It's like, no, that's where real racism happens. And then you know what? People find a way to live with each other despite that. Mm. (laughs) Because I'm like, look, this guy, I live next to this guy. What am I going to do? Move? I can't afford that. (laughs) So now I'm going to have to either wear down his racism or I have to slowly become... Comfortable with it Yeah yeah, And that's life Because life is so hard And complex And difficult And um, that's a hard thing To put into a movie man And also man This is why we're here Hugh Grant Is such I find him Such an interesting person Because he Has like No range Mm. Whatsoever But He still kind of Has that thing That I was talking about Before He is He is a movie star Right Yeah He's He's mega watchable Yeah He's so watchable he has no like technical chops i don't know how much he has mm. but when he's on screen i'm like this guy is in the, this and i don't I don't know how much of it is um what's it called um how much of it is like background processing like i've seen him in movies for so long therefore yeah. he is a movie star um but i still think it exists for modern actors there's still a few actors where i'm like nah, this guy this guy should be in movies watch paddington too dude I have to see Paddington 1 first. No, you don't.
1: I haven't seen it. You don't Oh, so I just go straight for two. Fuck
0: Paddington 1. Everybody
1: told me Paddington 2 was a great movie. Nobody told me, hey, you know, Paddington 1's a fucking bagger. I was like, well, I'm not, well, I'm not. uh, Side note, this is a trend. I watched the Mortal Kombat movie, the new 2021. This is the thing. Don't use movies to set up other movies. Just make the first movie good. And if it's good, people
0: will come back for a second one. Or alternatively, skip to the, skip straight to the second one. Just make what you thought the second movie yeah. would have been as, yeah. the second, as the first movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we did with our fucking podcast. We have an episode yeah. out
0: there that's a stinky pile of shit that never made it out, you know? Never made it out, yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what that episode is. Maybe I should no, go digging, see what I it can. is. I can. What was it? It was Space Chimps and the Dark Knight. Ah, Maybe I'll release that one day as like no. a B-pop but No, okay. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, do, we, do we have any more categories? No, we don't. So um, let's wrap it up. Um, been watching anything recently that you want to recommend? Um,
1: I just fucking did. I just I watched something fucking great the other day. Uh, oh, wait, you know what I have done? Sorry. This has been like a couple of weeks long thing. I just watched all of the Fast and the Furious movies. I like
0: the... Uh, I like it... Post reboot, I Bro, like it. They're fucking brilliant. They're brilliant. They're for so what good. They are. They, they are brilliant. They are for what they are. They are absolutely brilliant. I, I agree. Uh, I would, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Behind um, the Mission Impossible reboots, my favorite franchise.
1: Mm. I also watched. Uh, I watched Mission Impossible: Gross Protocol.
0: Didn't (laughs) say gross, gross, gross. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Hey
0: baby, it's prison rules. (laughs) What's Ethan Hunt doing? Oh, don't, (laughs) don't, oh, he's jerk. Don't jerk off Ethan. (laughs) Don't, oh,
1: that's Um, not. Yeah. I didn't, I don't know. I wanted even more jokes. I wanted more jokes. I think
0: I, the last one that came out, um, I think is one of the best action movies I've 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 seen. It's I think it's a pantheon level one. Is that like Ghost Protocol? The one where he's in London? I
1: can't remember. It's the one where he starts in the Russian prison.
0: No, 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 no. It's the the After very late the very latest one that came out.
1: Yeah, I think I need to do a bunch. I've just remembered the film that I did see. Uh, Nobody, the Bob Odenkirk. Uh,
0: oh, interesting. I he's, he's had a having lot of fun. his. He's having his Liam Neeson moment. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and, okay. It's,
1: and it's a very, very like Bob Odenkirk take on that formula. And I love
0: it. Oh, okay. I'm, okay. I'll check it out. I've, I've been, it's in the background, but I'll check it out. Mm. Um, what about you? What have you been watching? Um, well, I did, uh, Gary, Gary, who was on here, um, for, uh, Robocop and, uh, Jaws, Jaws. for the Revenge. Yeah. I did his podcast, um, and we watched Miami Vice, Michael Mann's Miami Vice, which I loved for its uh, confusion and uh, difficulty. But also, it's just rare, rare beauty. Just a very beautiful film. Um, and it reminded me of Spring Breakers, a movie that I love. Oh, really? 100, I love Spring Breakers for the same reason. And it's like, sometimes, sometimes movies don't have to have stories that make sense or are compelling. As long as the... Because you know how they always say like, Especially like European art films, like fucking, you know, it was like, oh, this is a mood piece. And that's like, and that's like shorthand for this is fucking boring. Mm -hmm. Miami Vice Spring Breakers. It's vibes. It's a vibe. It's like, just like, if you like, just catch the energy of like, someone stitched together like 20 music videos, but like 20 really good looking music videos that kind of vibe. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I hated it. I hated it. I really, I really loved it, man. I really dug it.
1: But I, but I was also just like, there's no message. I, there's no thing I can care about enough to make me watch James Franco do this for an
0: hour and a half. Was- yeah. But like, but there wasn't a message though, wasn't there? It was just like, mm. it's just like the emptiness of that kind of, yeah, but even spring break lifestyle. Then. For me, that was I was
1: like, oh god, this fucking just it do something at the end.
0: Are you a fan of Riff Raff? Is that
1: why? No, I. I, I <laughs> but this is the thing. I I wondered. My mate showed me Riff Raff, and I was like, after I'd seen the film, and I was like, I wonder if I'd
0: have liked it more if I'd have known who this guy was going in. You probably would have. Yeah, Riff Raff hates that movie, and mm. he hates James Franco because he thought he was being made fun of.
1: Yeah, and I'm like um, if if I could have accepted <laughs> it as a piss take of this guy I knew, then I'd be like great, but it was like it, it's like
0: showing up to a roast when you're like I don't know who this guy the, the, is, yeah. you know? Yes, Riff Raff has a great song called Aquaberry Dolphin that I love. It's just getting as one of my favorite titles for anything. It's Aquaberry Dolphin with Mac Miller. Um the, the actual movie that I wanted to recommend is uh, Thief. Okay, Michael, Mann, Michael Mann's Thief with the wonderful James Kahn. Um, in the lead role and um, again it's the same kind of thing much like Heat um, you know it's just like professionals at the very top of their game and the kind of uh, the difficulty between moving between two worlds um, being excellent at something um, at the expense of the rest of your life um, and how you do that so yeah that's what I recommend Thief and um, if you are a particular kind of movie guy if you think you could catch a vibe i recommend Miami Vice um, but yeah man let's uh let's leave it there yeah um yeah guys uh remember like if you're listening to this on like apple Podcasts, drop us a little review we haven't had one for a minute like we're on the same amount of review so if you are on apple Podcasts, and only if you are on apple Podcasts, drop us a little review uh we'd really appreciate it all right peace see you later